Good People, Cool Things is a podcast featuring conversations with entrepreneurs, writers, musicians, and other creatives. Get inspired by their stories to do your own cool thing. And here's your host, Joey Held. Welcome to Good People, Cool Things. Today's guests are Madeline Chayette and Catherine Wang of the Dished Podcast, where they interview local restaurateurs, entrepreneurs, and your favorite spots to eat. And learn all about the inner workings because, as you may know, uh, creating food for people is just a fascinating process. And they're going behind the scenes to get you the goodies. It's almost as good as eating that. But, I mean, if you're really dedicated, you can eat, let's say, Voodoo Donuts while you're listening to the episode where they chatted with Voodoo Donuts. There's lots of goodies involved with all of that. We're talking about their favorite and least favorite foods why they got into podcasting in the first place, and a very heartwarming conversation around what they appreciate about each other as co-hosts. And after you listen to that, I want you, well, to finish listening to the podcast, don't pause it in the middle, finish listening to the podcast, and then go find someone that is special in your life and tell them what you appreciate about them. Because my goodness, I got the warm and fuzzies just listening to this. And I can't even imagine how Madeline and Catherine felt hearing that from each other because that was very lovely all around. If you'd like to get in touch with Good People, Cool Things, you can reach out via Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at GPCT Podcast or send an email, joey at goodpeoplecoolthings.com. You can also support the show in a couple of different ways. There's the merch shop on goodpeoplecoolthings.com. And I wrote a book. It's called Kind But Kind of Weird Short Stories on Life's Relationships. And to see something that you wrote go from a Word doc into a physical copy that you can hold in your hands is a bananas feeling and would highly recommend it. 12 out of 10, much recommend. And you can buy it on Bookshop, Barnes & Noble, Amazon, wherever you get your books. Search for kind but kind of weird. as by me. And I hope it's even halfway as enjoyable as this conversation with Madeline and Catherine of the Dished Podcast. For people who are not familiar with you, can you give us your elevator pitch, but can you also tell us the type of elevator that we're riding on? Um, Sure. So the elevator pitch, uh, Catherine and I met in college and we now have a podcast together called Dished. We are former college roommates and we met while we were interning together at a startup in New York City. And we really bonded over how much we both really love food and also just talking to people and hearing more about how they approach their careers. And so after college, we've both been working um, like in the workforce for two years. And when COVID hit, I think we were both looking for something fun to do outside of work. And we started talking about what if there was a podcast to highlight everyone's favorite neighborhood restaurant. So we started this podcast called Dished, where we interview the founders of our favorite local restaurants. We've done a lot of really exciting ones like Voodoo Donuts has been a personal favorite of mine. We got to interview Lucas Sin um, from he runs Junza Kitchen in New York. And it's been really fun to work on together. In terms of the type of elevator we are on, it has to be something related to food. Uh. (laughs) I I was like thinking about this. I mean, the best, I guess, analogy I could think of is the type of elevator we're on is the elevator that Madeline and I took going down from what, like the 42nd floor of Mm. Hearst Tower Mm -hmm. when we were interning together and we were trying to figure out it's a very nice (laughs) elevator. That's like where O Magazine and all those fun um, 
um, like I guess female corporate magazines are in New York. And we would take that down and try to figure out in that course of time, where are we going to eat at lunch? Like what, mm, what should we get? And so that. I think the, the genesis of our friendship was there. So I, I suspect that's the elevator we're on. <laughs> Love it. I hope it's a, a, at least decently fast elevator, 42 oh, floors. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's the it's kind that gives you like ear pressure as you're going down because oh, nice. you're zooming so fast. <laughs> always love a good ear pop on an mm-hmm. elevator ride. I'm a fan of it. So you bonded over food uh, as well as just, it sounds like some some kind of shared interests as well. But has food always been kind of a passion for yours? Or did this, was there like a certain meal that kind of made you be like, wait, I want to learn more about everything around food? Or has it just always been an interest for you? I guess contextually, a little bit of background on me. I grew up um, I'm, I guess, second gen Chinese American. So my parents immigrated when they were 30 to the US. And when they immigrated, their grocery budget was like $20 a week. And so that meant there was no time to be able to order out or eat out. When I was growing up, for my parents, cooking was one a form of survival because it was like, okay, we don't have money to be spending going to restaurants. And the second was money or cooking is a way not only to save money, but also to connect back to the culture that they'd come from. Because in the U.S., a lot of the foods that they liked weren't necessarily accessible, so they had to make it. And so my mom always jokes that she probably fed me into having a Chinese stomach because that's probably <laughs> a food I could eat for the rest of my life. And I think the realization that I had about that was in eighth grade when I left home for the first time for like longer than just a few days, I was gone in New York for a week for a school trip. And I think we ate, I don't know, like normal things like sandwiches and pizza for a week. And I went home and I was like, you know what I really want to eat right now is dumplings. (laughs) And I was like, how do we make those? Please explain. Like, what are the ingredients? And I think from then we've kind of had the tradition every time I come home from somewhere to make dumplings. And I think that's like the first connection I have of realizing how important cooking and eating at home and like having that connection to my parents and my culture was to me. I I think food has just always been like a really big source of fun in my life. And my family definitely also really likes to eat, but Catherine has taught me so much about Chinese American food and also just food in general. And we really do have a lot of good memories from that first summer that we were spending together in New York, where we got to try out all these restaurants together. And it was definitely a huge source of fun for us that summer. And yeah, I, I mean, I have like, I I was just also, I also just took a trip back to New York, like a couple weeks ago, and it was a little bit of a nostalgia trip. I got to go to all these restaurants that Catherine and I had gone to together. And I think um, it's always just been a a source of fun. And another thing I've realized in working is that um, food is a huge source of creativity And it emulates a lot of what I, I'm a product manager. And I think that food kind of encapsulates a lot of what I liked about product management too, where it's about creating something and testing it out and being able to um, like see how people react. And I just think it's, it's always been fun. And the only restaurant I've ever been banned from was in China. So I like about that. Yeah, wait, you have to expand on that. <laughs> what happened? <laughs> it's it's probably a less interesting story than I, I make it out to be. But I studied abroad in China um, back in college, and we had a graduate student with us that spoke Mandarin. So she was essentially our guide throughout 
really anywhere we went um, because she was able to communicate much better than we could via pointing and maybe I maybe knew a dozen words at that point and the pronunciation I'm sure was not great so when we'd go to eat we'd occasionally pick stuff but a lot of the times we'd just ask her to order yeah we're like we trust your judgment go ahead mm-hmm. so she, we went to a restaurant I honestly don't even remember the name of it it was very good though we ordered a bunch of different plates like everything was delicious we're like we got to get back to this restaurant at some point because it's so good and we went back and we said, just order everything the same that you ordered last time, because that was perfect. Let's just do it again. So she orders, and we got maybe like 40% of the same stuff, but a handful of different things as well. And so she was like, okay, I'm going to call over the the server and you know get this sorted out. So she calls him over. They start kind of you know going back and forth a little bit. And then he calls over someone else, and it's like a manager and at one point, a third person came over really quickly, too, and then they left. So it was just like the two of them just screaming at each other <laughs> for a, a solid two or three minutes, just back and forth. And then, like, they're they're all standing up. Like, our graduate student is standing up, too, to, to be, like, eye to eye with them. And then she just goes, okay, 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 and sits back down. And then she says, they told us we're not welcome here anymore. Wow. Mm. What city was this? This was in Shanghai. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, you know, a wide variety of other options out there. Uh, and I, I imagine by now the statute of limitations has passed. Um, but it's possible they discreetly took a Polaroid of us and have, have it hanging up on the wall now. Yeah, that's a, it's per- probably particularly confusing because I'm guessing you didn't have much of a context. It was just like, we now have to go. <laughs> oh, I loved it. Yeah, they did let us, to their credit, they did let us finish up. They just said we we couldn't come back again after that. So wow, it went, it worked out nicely. It's a good story, though. Yeah, <laughs> that's why why I love to travel. You get you get things like that. It's good stuff. Now we talked a little bit about some of the foods that you like, but this has been an ongoing discussion. Uh, this episode will air after Halloween, but we're recording it before Halloween, so there's always debates around the best types of Halloween candy. And we don't need to go down that route entirely, but I do want to call out candy corn. Apologies if either of you like it. I find it horrible. It's so disgusting. It's not enjoyable. And yet it always seems to end up in in my presence around Halloween. And so I'm curious, what's a food that you just don't like at all and can't stand? Ooh. I talk about this with my friends a lot, actually. We call it like the, <laughs> the, the unpopular opinion about food discussion. It's like, what's your hottest take on food? Um, mine is pretty simple. I don't like condiments in general. <laughs> so like I, I hate ketchup, mayo, mustard, like all of that. So I, I, I don't know why exactly. I think that it'd be easier to say that I started disliking them all at the same time, but I actually think I dislike them all for different reasons. (laughs) So like, for example, um, I think I got scarred by ketchup when I ate school cafeteria ketchup and it was so disgusting. I was like, I can't eat anything that like tastes remotely like this ever again. Um, And so since then I'm not like ketchup, I was in kindergarten. And then um, for mayo, I was actually allergic to eggs for a long time. So I just didn't, I think, grow up eating it. And so the first time I had it, like it's kind of past the point where your palate can begin to accept it. And so anytime I have anything with it, 
I can tell I don't like it. I don't know why. And then I'll look at the ingredient list. I'll be like, oh, it's the mayo. (laughs) (laughs) It's pretty consistent. So I'm convinced that it's not just like a psychological thing for me. Um, Yeah, that's that's my hot take on food, I guess. It's a good answer. I also don't like mayo. I can eat it in like some things in small quantities. Like, for example, I think it's sometimes good in sandwiches, but I only like a little bit. Um, or like, I, I do like aioli. That's the one exception to the mayo rule. Um, but another thing I was thinking, I like most food. Um, I am vegan, which means that I feel like sometimes it's hard to answer this question because there's a lot of foods I guess I don't eat, but I don't really like drinking milk, like just plain milk or like soy milk or, you know, whatever non-dairy milk. Um, I have a really hard time like just drinking a glass of milk. I like that. As as a child, I used to drink milk all mm-hmm. the time. Yeah. Like, pound it like you're sipping water or I guess a, a beer if you're in, you know, really in party mode, I guess you could pound a beer too. But I would drink milk like that. Yeah. And now, yeah, it's, it's, I would say the only times I pour a glass of milk on its own is if I'm having a chocolate chip cookie or a brownie <laughs> or yeah. something. Yeah, that I'm is like, an appropriate time to do yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, that sounds great. Maybe maybe after this podcast, <laughs> get, some, get some cookies and just dip. So you've also got your own podcast, as you were saying, the Dish Podcast. And I think as the, the pandemic, I don't know the exact stat, but I know podcast, uh, the number of podcasts started since the pandemic has risen quite a bit because people have more time. They can make it happen. But I think a lot of people also jump into the idea of podcast or may even start the podcast without really realizing that a lot of work does go into it to to make a good quality podcast it does require some work you're obviously chatting with people and and setting up interviews and getting you know some background information on what you're talking about so this is a very cliched question but take us through your podcasting process I will say that when we first came up with the idea for the podcast, we kind of anticipated that soliciting guests and getting people to come on and talk to us would be one of the hardest parts. But I feel like it's actually been, we found that people are in general pretty open and willing to share, which has been like really nice to see um, just how receptive people are to share their stories. Um, Yeah, yeah. I think, yeah, it's interesting because I think that our process has evolved over time. Uh, We definitely both, I mean, so I work as a consultant and Madeline's a PM. So both of us are like spreadsheet people. We're definitely process creators. Um, So that's probably helpful. But when we first started, um, I was honestly quite skeptical when Madeline approached like the idea of starting a podcast, because in my head, I was like, this sounds like a lot of work. I had done um, work on making documentaries and stuff in middle school and high school. And I remember that process just being extremely painful, um, just in terms of the amount of preparation and effort that goes into it. And I was like, I don't really know if that's like something we're going to be able to do, even though it is only an audio form. So I was like, okay, like before we invest and go all in on this, we should, you know, see if anyone wants to talk to us, let's just test out like our, kind of proof of concept by just reaching out to people and being like, Hey, we're interested in having conversations, like kind of, you know, how I built this style, making it feel conversational, just learning about how you built your, your restaurant and 
knowing that our niche was local restaurants, we reached out to local restaurants that we already were sort of connected to through our college community. And then um, immediately they responded and were like, yeah, we'd love to chat. And we were like, oh, okay. So now we actually have to do this and figure out how it's going to work. Um, and so I think at that point we started to like iterate and figure out, okay, how are we going to actually approach these conversations? And what we initially built out as the skeleton was, um, we would have this intro call first with the potential guests after we reach out to them and say, okay, like let's chat for 20 minutes. We just want to, you know, get, get rid of the awkwardness of, um, you know, the initial introduction so that when you get into the conversation, they already feel like they know you a little bit, it's more comfortable. And then in that 20 minute intro, we would explain a little bit about the podcast. We would also, um, we would also ask them a little bit more about what questions they have and what they what they might want to talk about over the course of the conversation with us because mm-hmm. you know everyone has different experiences with podcasts our first guest had done so many he was like I don't want to talk about my origin story anymore and we're like okay <laughs> we won't do that it's fine um and other people are like oh we really want to talk about sustainability or community etc and so we know that we can make sure that on the day of the interview we have those questions that are ready to prompt those stories Um, And then we'll schedule the actual interview and then um, day of we'll interview them. And then the the part that I think we didn't anticipate is just how much comes after that. Yeah. I mean, I think that maybe we did a little bit like that's where when you say like podcasts are a lot of work, like I think so much of it is outside of the actual conversation, the editing and the social media, I think, especially I think. I think we might have known a little bit what we were getting into, but it definitely is a lot of time. Um, But I think that one thing that's been helpful for me, at least, is consistently um, checking back in with Catherine. Mm -hmm. And one thing that Catherine said to me when we launched our very first episode, I was a little bit stressed and I was like, everyone needs to hear this. Like, we should be doing all this publicity and yada, yada, yada. And I think Catherine said something along the lines of, like, why are we really doing this? And I think the answer for both of us is that it's just been really fun. And we both enjoy having these conversations and we also enjoy having them to reflect back on and having them in that recorded format for us to, um, to learn from and being able to make these connections with these restaurants has also just been really fun. So I think that it is a ton of work, but it has been nice to kind of have that reminder that uh, we can change it at any point because for us, it's just for fun. Yeah, I think that's a, a good reminder because a lot. I think a lot of people do get into podcasts thinking like, oh, I'm going to be the next Joe Rogan <laughs> and get, you know, get a million dollar an episode deal from Spotify or whatever that ended up being, which, first of all, no offense to the people that like Joe Rogan, but that is just not the uh, the types of podcasts that I want to listen to. So I, you know, kudos to him for making it successful. But yeah, I, I definitely think it's, so rewarding to chat to the types of people that that you're talking to and this obviously being an interview podcast as well there have been times tonight's not one of them I was excited for this podcast but there's some times where I'm like hey there's a lot going on you know in life like maybe the dogs have been barking for an hour beforehand and I'm just like oh I hope you stop for the recording session and of course they don't and I have to edit it out afterwards and I'm just you know so nerve-wracked going into things and then I come out and I was like, oh, that was great. Like, what was I so worried about? That was fantastic. Like, it's always awesome to meet someone new. And I think you learn so much from doing podcasts too, just from the people that you meet. And then on top of it, 
Like, I'm sure you've had troubleshooting along the way where you're like, hey, I figured out something that was wrong with this, you know, audio workstation or, you know, whatever the case might be. And when you solve that, you're like, all right, this is great. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. I actually think one, like there are a few things that come to mind with that. But one thing that I really like that Madeline suggested when we first started was we use this platform called Zencaster to actually record our interviews uh, because it's sort of like a helpful platform where you are able to see people, but also the audio tracks are recorded separately. So you can edit out weird noises and stuff like that. But it is challenging because at the beginning, Zencaster hadn't fully platform yet. And so you needed to do a separate Zoom and then do your audio recording on Zencaster. So just trying to coordinate all of that was such a it was such a struggle. It was a nightmare. <laughs> some people would go to connect to one and not the other. You could see them, but then you wouldn't be able to hear them or vice versa. And um Madeline and I were talking about like how do we how do we make sure this doesn't continually happen with our guests after we had issues with our first guest. And we ended up writing up this like little how-to guide of like, okay, here's like the different steps. Here's how we can connect. Just, you know, check it. And then that was actually one of the reasons why we even scheduled that initial intro call is you get to do the trial run of all the tech problems you're going to have. And then day of, ideally, you don't have any of those issues anymore. And so I think it was by iterating um, our process uh, that we managed to kind of figure out how to like get better and faster at Mm -hmm. all of this. I feel like that was a little dig at me for having to no. No, 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 totally understand you because we have gone through it. And I think there was one guest where we literally had to reschedule the call five times yeah. because she, we could not connect with her for the life of us. So you are doing much better than yeah. we did. <laughs> yes, I used to use Zencaster back in the day as well. Do they still have, this was always my favorite part was they had like the little audio files that you could play. So you could play like the little like while someone was talking. Ooh, and I always thought I've never that was done great. That. Yeah. Um, we should check that out. Yeah. I guess there are so many features we haven't explored on the platforms we're using. So yeah, wow. we've learned something new today. <laughs> Excellent. Yes, I look forward to the next audio drop because I think you can upload your own too. So I don't huh. know if you have uh, you know, a favorite like blooper or something, but you could throw it in. We do have like a nice swoosh sound effect that mm-hmm. I've heard people like Lovely. in our intro. So maybe we could start incorporating that just straight <laughs> into the interview. Yeah. There you go. Just yeah, just turn into like a morning DJ talk show uh-huh. where it's yeah. just got all all kinds of wacky sound effects throughout. I'll become the audio engineer in addition to the interviewer. I always like to ask musicians uh, about their worst gig. And so I'd be curious, what was your worst? Was the five, having to reschedule five times, was that your worst podcast experience? Or is there something even beyond that? That was pretty bad. (laughs) (laughs) I think that was probably the most frustrating because it, like... I felt like there was nothing that we could have done differently. Mm-hmm. And it's one thing to feel a sense of, oh, okay, like this was on us or this was on the other person. It was just genuinely baffling. Yeah. And so that was definitely frustrating. I can't think of a worst experience, but I can definitely think of times where I've walked in or not walked in, clicked into the interview and just not been in the headspace yeah. to be interviewing. Um, and 
I think just transitioning into that mode sometimes is harder than other times. Like there are times when you start and you're like, I'm already ready for like to have this conversation. I'm in my social like mood. And then other times it feels like it takes you a while to kind of drag yourself into that mode. But I feel like I always leave every interview feeling better than I did before I went in. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree with that. I think that, yeah, the five rescheduling thing was definitely the most logistically frustrating. Mm -hmm. Um, But other than that, I've thoroughly enjoyed like every episode we've recorded and I'm really happy with how they've all turned out as well. There is one in my head that I'm thinking of where I know I was like not in the right headspace going into that interview. There was just a lot going on and I was like just kind of out of it. (laughs) And Catherine said to me after we recorded, like, are you okay? (laughs) I was like, oh man. (laughs) But I think that uh, editing helped a lot there in that one. So I guess. Yeah. I don't think our listeners mentioned anything. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So I think she got away with it. Yeah. But I think that it's a good reminder to, you know, be intentional and in the moment when you're trying to do this, but it is sometimes hard to get there. I need to share this with uh, my former co-host for another podcast because he there would be sometimes where he'd have like if we'd record on a Thursday for example he'd have Thursday night football on in the background. Oh my god! Like, Let's focus up. <laughs> but yes, like you said, you can fix a lot in editing. Yeah, maybe not always the focus, but at least sometimes you can you can get away with it, which is always nice. Mm-hmm. And having a co-host helps too. Like I think Catherine probably helped me out there a lot and. So that also helps. <laughs> well, I think Madeline doesn't give herself enough credit. Like, I think a lot of the time I love that she starts all of the interviews because it helps me just get into the mode of, okay, like I can listen and respond to the questions. But sometimes I think the intro starting off the interview is the hardest part. Thanks. Well, Catherine, I think you just segued nicely into the next question here, which is a question you wish you were asked more frequently. And For y'all, it's what you appreciate about each other as co-hosts. What I appreciate about Madeline as a co-host, to be honest, I think the best part of working with Madeline is that, like, I think she's both enthusiastic and also persistent. So I feel like when I think about enthusiasm, I feel like Madeline is the person who, first of all, got me excited for the idea of doing a podcast in the first place and convinced me, no, this is going to be a good thing. Like, we're going to have a great time doing this. <laughs> and I I got brought along for the ride. And I'm so glad because I, I do think it's been so fun and exciting. And she's the person who's always kind of the person that I'll talk to about regardless of like what's going on in my life just kind of the things that like I'm reflecting on or or like experiencing and she's always the person who's able to then kind of play it back to me and be excited for me or talk through things with me and I think being able to work on the podcast with her means that I talk with her more frequently and so I get to experience the enthusiasm more often which is great um and then the persistence piece I think is Something that I'm not great about, I think, is being able to consistently kind of be on top of the different things that are going on. I think I've always been cognizant of an issue I have, which is that 
I sometimes will say yes to too many things and overcommit on things. And so I'm, I'm trying actively as I get older to be more conscious of what I say yes to. But I think that Madeline is the type of person who will also be good at kind of holding you accountable to things without it being like a pressure. She'll know to be able to kind of follow up on things and check in on how things are going. And that's sort of the element of her that's able to push the process mm. along of creation. And that's what I think has made us be able to release all the episodes at the times that we have to have been able to have the quality that we've been able to keep up over the course of all of our recordings. So I think that persistence is something that I really appreciate. Oh, so sweet. <laughs> um, there are a lot of things I appreciate about Catherine. We've also been friends for a while now, like how many years? Like seven. <laughs> yeah, it's been a while. Um, and we've only been working on this podcast for like 10 months. Um, but there are many things I appreciate about Catherine, but I think the two that were coming to mind were one is that she asks like incredible questions, which is useful in many ways. And then she's also very like, uh, I don't know if level-headed is the right word, but I'll explain what I mean. So with the first thing, like every guest that we've had has told Catherine that she asks amazing questions. I'm not kidding. <laughs> it's incredible. Um, but I think that it's also helpful, like not just in the interviews, but throughout, the, it means that throughout the entire process of developing the podcast, I feel like when I don't know what to do, Catherine is the one who's able to really like, it's because you're very perceptive. So like if I'm confused about something or like flustered, you're really good at like taking a step back and seeing the whole picture and reflecting and saying like, okay, well, what are our goals for this podcast? And um, like, what is the process that we can implement to stop this from happening in the future? Like things like that. You're very, you're very perceptive. You're very reflective. And I think like some sort of combination there means that you're like really good at seeing the big picture, which is super helpful. And I think it's also helpful for our guests because it means that you ask questions where they're like, whoa, I didn't even see that coming. <laughs> um, and then the second thing is, I think that we balance each other out a bit in the sense that if I'm stressed about something, I like, <laughs> I, I'm not very good at hiding it or like I, I feel a need to talk through it with someone. And Catherine is always the type of person who outside of the podcast too, but in the podcast context, I know I can always go to her and say like, here's what I'm stressed about. I don't really know what to do. Can you help me talk through it? And she's, um, I don't know, like you're just very good at handling, handling problems. I don't know how else to say it. I guess that's why you're a consultant. But like, <laughs> um, you're very good at talking us through stuff and kind of helping us think through things in a very productive way. And there's probably a ton of other things that aren't coming to mind right now, but <laughs> so I would say those are kind of the, the first two. So heartwarming. <laughs> I think it's the end versus us in us that we, we joke about the Myers-Briggs sometimes. Mm. And the part where Madeline and I are the like most different, I think, is that like, I think I'm an N and she's an S. So I'm the big picture thinker and she's kind of the detail oriented thinker. So probably is reflected in what we just talked about. Mm -hmm. That was very heartwarming. <laughs> Good job. I like that question. I'm going to ask everyone that now. What Aww. they appreciate about, mm. well, I guess if there's just one of them, it would be about something else, not their co-host, but you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like I like a good appreciation here and there. And because we're all about speaking things into an existence, is there a guest that you 
want to interview, but haven't gotten to yet. I will say, like I said, like we've, people have been so receptive. Like I think when we first started this, two of the restaurants that came to mind that I really wanted to interview were Voodoo Donuts, just because they epitomize like a quirky restaurant chain that's grown a lot in my head. And I was really excited about them. And then I was also really excited about a pizza chain in Berkeley that my family loves. And we just interviewed them yesterday. Um, So, but there are definitely some, if I can, I can think I bought you a little bit of time, but (laughs) (laughs) Um, I would say for me, I think I have two. Well, first, we're about to manifest into existence already. So there's a gelato place that I've loved Mm. eating at since I was in high school. And um, they have the most incredible flavors. And when my friends heard about uh, the fact that we were going to be interviewing them, they like multiple people texted me and asked, can you ask them if they're bringing back XYZ flavor? (laughs) (laughs) So I'm super excited for that. We haven't done the interview yet, but it is in the works. So um, I guess it's a plug that people have to stay tuned because it's very exciting and I'm really happy about it. Um, I think the other one is uh, there's actually, I don't know how this would functionally work, which is why we somehow have to manifest it. But I think one of my favorite memories of traveling with Madeline is when we were in Paris, we went to mm. um, this crepe guy in um, in the Lermarais area. And he was just at this sort of like hole in the wall playing music. It was like a slightly rainy day in Paris. And so it was the evening time. And he was having such a blast making crepes. And <laughs> I felt like Somebody who is able to sort of enjoy life in that way has to have fun stories about the people he's seen, Mm -hmm. the experiences that he's had. And so I don't know exactly how we would manage to overcome some of the language barriers, but (laughs) if it were possible, I think it would be really fun to be able to expand beyond just local restaurants in Mm -hmm. the U.S. and be able to do something also international. I guess you gave us a scoop on the gelato episode. Yeah. (laughs) You're almost off the hook, but we always like to end with a top three. And when this episode goes live, we'll we'll have started hearing, I mean, if you haven't already, maybe started hearing Christmas songs all over the radio. Mm-hmm. Mariah Carey's already warming up her vocal cords. And we've got, you know, all kinds of decorations all over the place. But my favorite part, of course, is the holiday treats. So do you have top three holiday treats? I'll start. Um, I feel like I have to start by giving a shout out to my parents cooking Mm. um, since I talked about the beginning as well. So this is a holiday treat that isn't super common in the U.S., but is super popular in China. So in the winter, my favorite holiday is actually in February and it's not Valentine's Day. It's Chinese New Year. So Chinese New Year slash Lunar New Year is sort of when the lunar calendar switches over to the new year and there's basically... 15 days worth of required foods that you're supposed to make and eat. And one of the required foods is this dessert called Niangal, um, which is in direct translation, a sticky rice cake. So it's a type of um, kind of like a mochi like dessert where you usually have some red bean, um, maybe some lemon zest. So it's like a little it's a little bit sweet, a little bit sticky, um, but it's always a fun treat. And 
the reason why it's always made is because it's actually also a homonym. So it also can be interpreted to mean every year you kind of become better and every year everything gets better. And so that's a treat that my dad will only ever make in the new year and we will all eat it together. So I think every time I have it, I'm like, ah, we're about to hit a new year in the Chinese calendar, which is always exciting. Um, so that's my first one. My first one, this isn't tied to a specific holiday, but more just like the time of year. My mom has a really good pumpkin bread recipe and she made her secret <laughs> is that she makes it with kaboka squash. It's like the Japanese squash. Um, and it's so sweet and so good. <laughs> um, so every time she makes that, I mean, it just like, this, is it a fall food? Yeah, it's more of a fall food than a holiday food, but we make it around Thanksgiving and like, yeah, it's pretty good. That's my first one. Mm. Okay. My second one I actually discovered last year during the pandemic, um, and I've ordered it twice now. <laughs> it's in Leesburg, Virginia, kind of random. Uh, but so I live in the DC area. It's like a 45 minute drive from my house. My dad and I were just driving along like the random farmland of Maryland and ended up by this actual hole in the wall called mom's apple pie, which apparently mm. is a cult following because at the, on the day that we were there, it was almost Thanksgiving. And there were, I kid you not like 50 people standing outside this tiny shack. And I was like, what is going on? So naturally I had to get in line and I got this, um, this apple pie and berry pie, but the berry pie that I got had this pecan crust Ooh. that was incredible. Like I, I'm not really a huge pie person, but I had the pecan crust pie and I was like, wait, this is actually insane. Um, so, uh, we got that and we ate it for part of Thanksgiving and, um, we went back on pie day this year and, and celebrated again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, the next thing for me that came to mind was like Thanksgiving stuffing. Um, my family does a pretty typical Thanksgiving dinner. Like we'll do turkey and stuffing and mashed potatoes and stuff. But I feel like the stuffing is always one of my favorites. And what I really like is when you put chestnuts in it. Um, I, I just think it tastes so good. Is that a treat? Well, I don't know. <laughs> I, <laughs> I guess so. Are we only doing desserts? <laughs> Ice doesn't have to be. Treat can, doesn't have to be. Yeah, treat is, treat is whatever you want it. I mean, my favorite Thanksgiving dessert is probably apple pie, kind of similar to your answer. Mm. Um, you did like a, didn't you do like a pie baking contest with your sister? Yeah. So one thing, so I mentioned I'm vegan. No one else in my family is vegan or even really close to vegan, but I do have a nine-year-old little sister. And one of her favorite activities <laughs> is to have a competition with me about who can bake like the better thing. And we do like a vegan version and a non-vegan version. So yeah, last year we did a pie off. Um, it was pretty fun. And mm -hmm. mine was pretty good. <laughs> it was, it was a good crust. Um, so vegan pies. So were you, were you the winner then? Well, I, <laughs> 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 um, I honestly can't remember. I think, I think it might've been a tie um, because I think she did a different type of pie. So it was honestly a little bit hard to judge is what I'm remembering, but my pie got eaten, which I feel like means it must've been good enough for people. <laughs> but it's the sign of a successful pie, I would say. Yeah. Okay. Um, my last one for holiday treats 
Um, I'm, I love cookies. Like I think my favorite probably is just the classic chocolate chip cookie. But last year I wanted to branch out and I was super bored at home because, you know, COVID. And so my friend Hannah and I come came up with this idea that we were going to bake tons of cookies and do a holiday cookie box delivery to our friends um, who all lived around us. And so I think for Christmas, I baked like 600 cookies. Um, and I think my favorite one was probably uh, the, we did like a, I did like a white chocolate orange zest um, oatmeal cookie that I think I baked probably 150 of. And according to all my friends, that was the first one that disappeared. And I think that was true in my house. So um, that one was a new favorite that I discovered last year. Yeah, I was going to say, I think my third favorite, my family's a big fan of chocolate. So I feel like I always associate Christmas with like getting boxes of chocolate because that's always something in the stockings um, that we get. So I guess in my head, what I'm picturing is like your typical seized candies, like truffle box as a favorite treat. Which truffle goes first? Well, so what my family does is we cut each one in half Um. (laughs) so that you can see what's inside. And also I have a pretty big family. So I guess we need to share like the really good ones. Usually the caramels disappear pretty quickly in our house. Do you feel like that ruins the surprise? Is it, <laughs> is it good to know? I mean, some would definitely say so. Um, but <laughs> when you have a lot of siblings, it's nice to, because otherwise one person gets all the caramel. This way, at least you're like sharing things. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we don't cut ours open, but my parents and I are the people who like get the truffle box and then we'll be reading the the manual, the yeah. pamphlet that comes with it. But we have an excuse, which is that I'm allergic to peanuts. So if I pick the wrong one, I might actually die. So, <laughs> so that's why we do it. That's fair. Yeah, I think I think I've done reading the the manual because yeah, because sometimes you're like, what is this spiky chocolate mm-hmm. one? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it turns out it's like turmeric or something, and you're like, oh, <laughs> never seen yeah. that in a chocolate. But yeah. I also uh, our family always has frango mints for us when we come home and. My sister and I will usually destroy a box within <laughs> hours, if not minutes, of arriving. <laughs> yeah. Love that. Lovely. Well, Madeline and Catherine, this was fantastic. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat. If people want to listen to these upcoming episodes, maybe tune in to the Voodoo Donuts or all the great episodes that you've done. Where can they find you? Um, we're on Spotify and Apple Podcast at Dished. So the name is D-I-S-H-E-D. And you can also find us on Instagram at Dish Podcast. Fantastic. Well, thank you again for taking the time to chat. This is great. And I'm glad I did this right before dinner because now I have a crazy <laughs> appetite. Ready. And yeah. I'm going to eat everything. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for having us. We had a good time. Yeah. Thank you so much. We had so much fun. Of course. And we got to end with a corny joke as we always do. What do pirates pay for corn? Corn. I don't know. Yeah. What do they pay for corn? A buccaneer. Uh, good afternoon, yeah, that's pretty good. That's good. <laughs> nice. Love it. Good People, Cool Things is produced in Austin, Texas. If you were a fan of this episode, go ahead and hit that follow button. That helps more people 
hear the show, you can send me a message, joey at goodpeoplecoolthings.com. Thank you to all of the guests who have been on Good People Cool Things. You can check out all the old episodes via goodpeoplecoolthings.com. As always, thank you for listening and have a wonderful day. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner.